0: You guys turn there. I want to say a few words just kind of <clears throat> by way of reminder of what it is that we've studied thus far in our sermon series through the book of James. The, for the majority of his letter, we've been looking at the marks of a person who has true, genuine faith. So, what are the characteristics of a life that is marked by genuine, life changing, true faith in Jesus? And we've seen that a person with genuine faith remains steadfast and faithful in the midst of trials. All right, so James opens his letter by saying, count it all joy when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. He says, let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Nothing. So, one mark of a person who has true and genuine faith is that they remain steadfast under trial. Another mark of a person with genuine faith is that this person not only hears God's Word, but also obeys God's Word. They're obedient to God's Word. So, a person, James says, who is a hearer only and not a doer of the Word, James says that person is deceived. Right? They're deceived. And so, they're deceived into thinking that their faith is real, that their faith is genuine, when in fact their faith isn't real, it's fake. James goes on in chapter 2 to say that a person who claims to have faith but does not obey, that that faith is worthless. It's worthless, it's dead. The last time we looked at James chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. And in those verses, James says that a person who has true and genuine faith, has a spirit-controlled tongue. That their speech is controlled by the Holy Spirit. And he says in verse 7 that man can train every kind of wild animal, man can train every kind of beast, but no human being is able to control their tongue. Right? Because of this, right, we saw that not many people who James is writing to, said he said that not many of them should become teachers or preachers. Right? And one of the reasons we... Uh, talked about why James says that not many of them should become teachers or preachers of the Word of God is because of the opportunity, the, the inordinate opportunity uh, for there to be sin with the tongue. So James says that one of the marks of a person with genuine faith in Jesus is that they have spirit-controlled speech. Well, in our passage this morning, James ties this conversation about taming the tongue with his theme of wisdom that's gone through all throughout his book so far right so james says this morning in our text that there's basically two different ways of life two different kinds of wisdom right one wisdom is a gift from god that wisdom flows down from heaven it's a gift of god that is given uh, and it comes uh, to the heart of the person who has received or who has uh, who has confessed and believed uh, in faith Uh, that God is our Savior, right? He describes this wisdom as heavenly wisdom. Now, the other kind of wisdom that James describes in these verses is a fake wisdom. It's a pseudo-wisdom, right? In fact, he says that this is no wisdom at all. It's actually earthly. It's unspiritual, and he even describes it as demonic. In all of this, in all of these verses, and really in the entire book of James, there is this call for us, once again, to examine our hearts, to examine the fruit of our lives, to examine our works, and to test and to see if our confession of faith is really genuine at all, or if we're deceived. So, with that in mind, let's uh, once more I want to invite you to stand together with me as I read for us from James chapter 3. I'm going to read verses 13 through 18. James chapter three verses thirteen through eighteen. James says, "Who is wise in understanding among you By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but it is earthly, unspiritual and demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be dishonor and every, or disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom that is from above, above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make Peace. Let's pray. Lord, as we come to your word this morning to study, Father, I pray that you would, by the help of your Holy Spirit, help us not only to be hearers of this word, but to be doers of it as well. Father, I pray that we would recognize and realize that this faith is a gift from you. Lord, again, for those perhaps who are here this morning who have never placed their faith in you, Lord, who've never trusted in you for their salvation, Lord, I pray. Uh, that through these words of the Apostle James, Lord, that You would uh, give them the gift of faith. Lord, help them to see their need for You. And Lord, I pray that You would convict us. Use this passage to convict all of us uh, for our sin. And Lord, I pray that You would help us to repent and turn to You in faith once again. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. So, before we jump into this particular text, I want us to take just a few minutes to think about the nature of heavenly wisdom that James is talking about here in these verses, right? So in order for us to, I think, understand clearly what James is talking about in these particular verses, he wants us uh, to take a step back and to look more generally from his entire book uh, about what the nature of this wisdom is that he's talking about in 13 through 18. <clears throat> well, the first thing we learn about this heavenly wisdom Right uh, from the book of James is that heavenly wisdom is not something that we can just choose to have. Okay, heavenly wisdom is not something that we can, in our own strength and by our own power, just pull ourselves up by the bootstraps and try a little bit harder uh, to be a little bit better. Right, and so the Christian life is not one uh, that we do, we live in our own strength, and this heavenly wisdom that James is talking about here that every Christian ought to have is a gift from God. You see, every single one of us, our hearts are naturally, sinfully bent against God. We are naturally rebellious against Him. And because of our sin and because of our sinful nature our sinful mind our sinful tongues our sinful mouth, uh, everything is affected by that, right? Our speech is affected by that. Our relationships are affected by it. Everything about us is naturally bent against God's wise and perfect plan. And so James is building this case against our sinful human hearts and against our sinful human behaviors that follow. And he is getting ready really to lay down the hammer in chapter 4. So if you look forward to chapter 4, James is writing, mind you, to the church. Right? So he's writing these things to people who confess belief in Jesus, and he has some of the harshest words uh, that have been written to the church there in the first part of chapter 4. And so he's preparing, he's building this case against our sinful human hearts and our sinful behaviors, and he's getting ready uh, to really come at it in chapter 4 in the first part. So that's the first thing. We can't simply choose to be good and to do good and to take care of all of our problems. Right? We're too sinful for that. We're too sinful for that. The second thing is that because of our sinfulness, we desperately need the gospel. We desperately need the good news of Jesus. And James clearly reminds us of this all the way from chapter 1, all throughout his letter, James constantly clearly reminds us of the gospel. So in James chapter 1, verse 18, we looked at this uh, several months ago. It says, of his own will of God, of God's own will, He brought us forth. Literally, He he regenerates us. He gives us new birth by the word of truth so that we should be the kind of first fruits of His creatures. And so again, He calls us to repentance and to genuine faith. In in chapter 1, verse 21, He says, Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness, with humility, the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. All of us here this morning, every single one of us, desperately need this good news. We desperately need the gospel because we just can't muster up the good works. We just can't muster up the righteousness that God requires of us in our own strength. We can't do it. Apart from God saving us, each and every single one of us are helpless because of our sin. The third thing we see is that true and genuine faith that produces good works in a life that's lived in heavenly wisdom is a gift that's given by God, right? So it's not something that we choose. It's not something that we can work up and earn by our good works. It's a gift that's given by God. Remember, James opened his letter with this exact reminder in James chapter one, verse five. He says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask, God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith and not in doubt. Because the one who asks in doubt is like a wave that's driven by the sea, right? Driven by the wind, tossed to and fro. So again, James reminds us that any good gift that we have is a gift from God. In chapter 1, verse 17, 17, he said, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. So your faith, your very faith, is a gift from God. Your ability to hear this good news about Jesus and to receive this good gift from God, it is God's work in your life. It's not something that you've done. It's not something that you can muster up your own strength to do. It's a gift that's given to you by God. And we need this reminder. Right? That every good thing in us, every ounce of faith that we have, in light of our sinful wretched hearts, it's a gift from God. It's God's goodness to us. So that brings us to these verses this morning, verses 13 through 18. So I want to give you kind of the main idea of what James is saying here in these verses. This is, this is just a summary of what he's saying in these, these five verses in just a couple of sentences. Okay? Heavenly wisdom, wisdom that comes from above, it comes from a heart of righteousness that is given by God to those who believe the gospel. So heavenly wisdom and a heart of righteousness, it's a gift that is given by God to those who believe the gospel. Earthly wisdom comes from a selfish and sinful heart that is unchanged by the gospel. Okay? So heavenly wisdom comes from above. It's a, it's a gift that is given by God to those who believe the gospel, while earthly wisdom comes from sinful, selfish, uh, vain, ambitious hearts that are unchanged by the gospel. So, by God's grace, let's look to this wisdom which He calls every single one of us to have. You see there in your notes, point point one, point one in your notes. The genuineness of our faith is put on display by our works. Okay? Your confession of faith, that the genuineness of that confession is put on display by our works. So James begins this section by asking uh, a question. He asks a question. He says in verse 13, Who is wise and understanding among you? Now, <clears throat> it's important to know who it is that James is asking this question to, right? So some people say that James is asking this question of those who want to become teachers. So you remember back in chapter 3, verse 1, he begins this whole section, this whole chapter, by addressing those who wish to become teachers. He says, not many of you should become teachers because of the dangers of the sinfulness of the tongue, right? And so, some people say that James is asking this question, who, who is wise and understanding among you? He's asking this question of those who, who want to become teachers in the church. Okay? <clears throat> and so, they uh, they say that this question goes something like this, you, you guys think that you're wise and you think that you have enough understanding and you wish to be teachers in the church, prove it. So that, that's one way that, that some people interpret this passage. I think James is asking this question more broadly, though. He's asking this question of every single one of us. Not just those who want to be teachers, but everybody. Think about it this way. James begin, began the section in chapter, thir, chapter 3, uh, this discussion about the tongue and, and the use of our words. right? And he begins the section by addressing teachers. right? And we said... When we studied that passage last time, it was because teachers use words a lot, right? They stand up in front of people and they open their mouths and they speak. And so there's more opportunity uh, to sin with your mouth if you're a teacher. But he goes on to talk about controlling the tongue. And he's not just saying that it's teachers who need to control their tongue. It's everybody, right? Everybody needs to have spirit-controlled speech. Every believer, not just teachers and preachers, everybody does. So in the same way, I think James is asking this question this morning of all of us. Everyone who confesses faith in Jesus ought to have a lifestyle that's marked by heavenly wisdom. We ought to live in light of heavenly wisdom and not earthly wisdom. So I think James is asking this question to each and every one of us here this morning. Now, that's who. Now, why? (laughs) Why does James ask this question? Why does he begin this section on heavenly wisdom by asking who is wise and understanding among you? Well, I think that James begins this section with a question because he wants us to examine ourselves, right? This is a call to examine your heart. This is a call to examine the fruit of your life. It's a call to examine your works, right? Questions are powerful tools to bring about self-examination. They are. Some of you guys perhaps remember a time in school when a teacher would call on you or call you forward to, to give an account for what you've learned in front of an entire class. Some of you guys are teachers and you've done this to people before. <laughs> right? You call them down front and it's, time, it's a time of reckoning. It's a time for you to give an account for the knowledge and the understanding and the wisdom that you should have gained on any particular subject. One memory I have in particular of my time in seminary it's actually a bunch of memories. Uh, it was a daily memory for a long time there. When I was in seminary and I was taking all these different Greek classes. Right? So we would go into our Greek class and the only thing we were allowed to bring in class with us was our Greek New Testament. No English Bibles allowed. Okay? And the way the class was formatted, we would go in and we would open up to the passage that we were studying that day and we'd all sit in the, in the seats in the classroom and our professor would start on the front row on this end. And he would say... Mr. Anderson, name started with A. Translate these verses. And from the Greek New Testament, we would have to read, translate in English, those verses. And then, after you would translate the verse, he'd start pelting you with these questions. Parse this word. Give me the syntax of this phrase. You know, why, <clears throat> why is this particular word written in this way? And there in front of the entire class, you would not only have to translate... But you'd also have to answer just question after question after question about different verses. And I remember in those classes, sitting in about the second row towards the middle, as the professor would go person by person down the line, and as he would get closer to me and closer to me, my stomach would start to churn, and my, I'd feel that tightness in my chest, and it would get really hot in the room. The rooms were always hot, right? And I would know that my time was coming. Reckoning was at hand. And it's typically in those times when he was about one or two people away where I would start praying, Lord, help me to remember everything that I've studied. Lord, I, I am sorry and I repent for the times that I watched TV when I should have been studying or I went on a walk when I should have been you know, taking advantage of the opportunity to study for this. Lord, just by a miracle, bring it to mind so I don't look like a fool in front of all of my classmates. Right? <clears throat> James is asking us these questions to examine ourselves, right? To help us to step forward so that we can analyze the genuineness of our claims to faith. That's what he's doing. Well, how is it that we're to know if our faith is genuine if we truly are wise and understanding in the ways of God? Well, James answers the question for us. The, the, The answer comes in the second part of verse 13. Look at it. He says... By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. So just like James said back in chapter 2, he says that we know we have genuine faith by our works. Right? Our works aren't what produce faith in our life, but our works are the result of the faith that is in our life. Genuine faith produces works, James says, that are done in meekness, that are done in humility. Now, Christians ought to, more than anybody else in the world, have the attitude of meekness and humility, right? Because we're supposed to have this attitude of meekness and humility because we understand our own unworthiness before God. We understand our own sinfulness and our own inability to achieve any spiritual fulfillment on our own, right? We can't just pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and do better, no, we need God's mercy at every single moment. So this attitude of humility and meekness that James has already said that we're to have in, in chapter 1, verse 21, he says this is the same attitude that we're to receive God's implanted word. He said, with meekness, with humility, receive the implanted word, which is able to save our souls. So if you're here this morning and you claim that you're a believer in Jesus and you claim to be his disciple yet you have an attitude of pridefulness, self-conceit, James is calling you here to examine your heart to see whether or not you really are a Christian. Brothers and sisters, if, if the Holy Spirit lives in your heart, if He dwells in your heart, there is no room for pride or self-conceit. There's no room for it. Well, what about the person who claims to be a genuine disciple of Jesus but doesn't have the works of faith that are done in the meekness of wisdom that James is talking about here. Well, that that brings us to point two. The second part here, verses 14 through 16, an earthly, or a heart of earthly wisdom produces selfish and unrighteous fruit. The heart of earthly wisdom produces selfish and unrighteous fruit. James says here that there are some people who claim to have heavenly wisdom, who have genuine faith in Jesus, but their lives are not marked by good works done in the meekness of wisdom. Instead, their hearts are marked by works that are done in bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. It says down there in verse 14, but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, don't boast and be false to the truth, right? Now, this word jealousy that's here is the same word that we get our word zealous from. It's the word for zeal, Right? Actually, this word jealous is used to describe God Himself in the Bible. Our God is a jealous God. He is zealous. But what is it that God is jealous for? Well, the Scripture teaches us that God is jealous for His own glory. But that's not the kind of zeal, that's not the kind of jealousy here that James is talking about in the heart of these false believers. He says that they have bitter jealousy, that they have selfish ambition. You see, where God is jealous, where God is zealous, He is zealous for His own glory. But, but the characteristic that James is talking about here, this bitter jealousy, is a heart that's not concerned with the glory of God, it's the heart that's concerned for my own glory, right? It, it's the heart that's concerned with my own well-being, not God's glory, So this is a person who is passionate, who we would say is zealous, but they're not zealous for good works or they're not zealous for the glory of God. They're zealous about themselves. This is a person who works hard to promote themselves, who love to be well thought of and well respected by others more than anything else. You notice this person's zeal for their own name is described as bitter, and they're full of selfish ambition. They don't care who or what they hurt, whoever gets in their way in the pursuit of their own glory. That's not a person that's marked by heavenly wisdom. James says about this person, right? Mind you, these are people who confess faith in Jesus, heavenly wisdom, that they are false to the truth, that they are deceived. Douglas Moo, who is a commentator on this, but says that if a person harbors bitter envy and selfish ambition in their heart, that person is, is, in effect, living a lie. They claim to be wise, but they conduct themselves in a way that denies that truth. So, church family, it is entirely possible for you to profess genuine faith in Jesus, but to prove that by the way that you live your life for yourself, that you are absolutely deceived. You're living a lie. Right? My fear is that there are many in our community, perhaps even some of us here this morning, who think that we're okay with God when we're actually not. We're not okay with God at all, right? The fact of the matter is that some of us couldn't be further away from Him if we tried. But here's the good news. There's a call here from James to examine your heart this morning. right? to see if your faith, if your confession of belief in Jesus is just a veneer, if it's all for show, or if it's genuine. And James says that this person doesn't have heavenly wisdom. It's not wisdom at all. In verse 15, he says this is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but it's earthly, it's unspiritual. He says it's even demonic. It's not surprising that he uses that word demonic, right? Because Satan is a deceiver, right? He, he, he's a liar. And he tries to convince us of things that aren't true uh, and, and deceive us about, that, about those things. So I think there, when he talks about these things being demonic, again, this points to the deception uh, that we can have when we think that we're okay with God when actually we're not okay at all. And look at the fruit of that kind of life. What that kind of life produces. Look at the result of it. Verse 16. Verse 16, he says, Where jealousy and selfish ambition exist... There will be disorder in every vile practice. Right? Disorder, disunity among the church. Right? Broken relationships among the church family in every vile practice, every work of unrighteousness. Brothers and sisters, our, our jealousy and our selfishness in our lives, that breeds disunity and unrighteous behavior within the church body, within the church family. Now, before we move on to the last point here, I want us to take a moment to remind ourselves of the gospel. Because the reality is, is that every single one of us here, if we're truly examining our own hearts right now, if we're truly thinking about how this text applies to us, every single one of us know that we've fallen short. And probably do so on a daily basis. I'll be the first to confess that I do. Right? I'll be the first to confess that oftentimes my life can be marked by earthly wisdom and not heavenly wisdom. But here's the good news. The good news is that Jesus came and lived the perfect life that none of us could ever live. Try as hard as I might, I can't live a perfect life. Even as a Christian, I can't do it. But Jesus did it for me. That's why all of us need God's mercy and grace. Jesus, He came and He lived a perfect life for us. He died on the cross to take our punishment for our sin that we deserve. Right? He humbled Himself. The Apostle Paul says in Philippians chapter 2, He didn't count His equality with God something to be lorded over us, but He humbled Himself. and He was obedient to God to the point of death. Even death on a cross. And there is Jesus hung on that tree. He took our punishment and our, uh, for our sin that each one of us deserves. So not only did Jesus live a perfect life for us, not only did He die on the cross for our sins, but He rose again from the dead. He, he, he rose again. God raised Him from the dead. We just celebrated this great truth uh, on Easter Sunday last week, right? That, that God raised Jesus from the dead. And for everyone who would turn away from their sins and trust in Jesus... Jesus' perfect life is given to our account. And our sinfulness and the punishment that we deserve because of our sinfulness, God nails it to the cross of Jesus. And we don't bear the punishment for that sin anymore. We don't bear that guilt. We don't bear that shame anymore because of what Christ did on the cross for us. And the scripture says if we would just turn away from our sins and put our hope and our trust in Jesus and follow after him, we'll be forgiven. He wipes away our punishment. He wipes away our guilt. He wipes away our shame. And we're given new life in Him. It's exactly what James tells us here. I want us to skip forward a little bit. Look, look at James chapter 4 and verse 7. So if you're here this morning, you're thinking, man, Pastor Nick, my, my life is marked by earthly wisdom, right? By selfish ambition, uh, by, uh, by all these things, by bitter jealousy. What do I do? Well, James answers that question. Look at chapter 4, verse 7. He says, Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Right? This call from James is to repent, to turn from our sinfulness, to turn from our earthly wisdom, And to turn to Jesus and to place our hope in Him. Look at what he says there in verse 10. Chapter chapter 4, verse 10. Humble yourselves before God. There's, There's that word again. Humble. Meekness. Humble yourselves before the Lord and He will exalt you. Oh, friends, this is the gospel. This is what every single one of us so desperately need. Every single moment, of every single day. I don't care how long you've been a Christian. I don't care how long you haven't been a Christian. This is the good news for us this morning. This gospel promise that God takes wretched sinners like you and me who come humbly to Him for forgiveness, and in mercy, He exalts us to the place of righteousness and peace. That's point three. Point three in your notes a heart of heavenly wisdom produces righteousness and peace. Whereas a heart of of earthly wisdom produces selfishness selfishness and, and vain jealousy, a heart of heavenly wisdom produces righteousness and peace. So James gives us here in verses 17 and 18 the characteristics of this kind of wisdom. This wisdom that comes from above. This wisdom that is a gift from God. And again, remember that uh, this uh, kind of wisdom, right? This lifestyle that is marked uh, by this good fruit and these works of genuine faith is—it's a gift from God. It's not something that we can just try harder to attain on our own. This wisdom is a gift. It's—it's it's good fruit. It's heavenly. It comes down from above. It's not because of our doing. It's because of God's doing. So, what is the fruit of heavenly wisdom? It's interesting here, but it's not surprising that the fruit that James lists here is pretty much the complete opposite of the bitter jealousy and selfish ambition that he talked about that marks earthly wisdom. Look, look at these characteristics. He says, first, the fruit of heaven, heavenly wisdom is pure. Right? It's pure as opposed to worldly. It's pure as opposed to bitter jealousy. Right? It, it's it's not selfish. It's peaceable. It's peaceable rather than disorderly. Disunity. It's a person who is gentle. Who's open to reason. Now I think open to reason there means teachable. Right? Teachable. When we do something wrong and somebody comes and shows us from God's Word that we've sinned, right? it's a person who says, yeah, I see that. and It's a person who's teachable. Who's not, whose first inclination is not self-defense. Say, well, I'm not as bad as everybody else. No, this is a person who's open to reason, who's teachable. This is a person who's quick to show mercy. Why are Christians quick to show mercy to people? It's because we've been shown so much mercy. Right? We don't look at other people and think, man, I'm so much better than them. Right? We're quick to show mercy to people because God has shown us so much mercy. We're quick to show mercy because we know our own unworthiness. It's a person who's impartial, who doesn't make distinctions uh, of people because of external things. And this is a person who is sincere, genuine, rather than prideful or bitter or selfish. Notice all of these things that are listed in verse 17. In all of these things, none of them are to-dos. Did you notice that? None of these things are things that you can do. You can't do peace. You can't do teachability. I think I'll go out and do some teachability today. No, you can't can't do these things. This is a list of character traits, isn't it? This this is not something that we can do. This is something about who we are in Christ. Because God that is at, at work in us To bring about, to change our hearts, to change our lives, to change our characters, to follow after Him. So what's the final outcome? What's the result of this kind of wisdom? We saw that the result of earthly wisdom is is disunity in every vile practice, every work of unrighteousness. Look down in verse 18. The final outcome of heavenly wisdom is Says, in a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So rather than disunity in every vile practice, the outcome of those who live in light of heavenly wisdom is a harvest of righteousness and peace. Now you noticed here that James uses the language of sowing and reaping, of, of planting and harvesting. Brothers and sisters, righteousness and peace are a harvest it's not something that comes immediately right it's not some kind of magic formula where i can just uh you know do this right thing and then boom everything's all of a sudden fixed no righteousness is a harvest a lot of you guys are farmers some of you guys are gardeners and different things like that we kind of we have a little garden box in the backyard and we like to plant stuff there and fool around with it we're not great at it but uh you know it's something fun to do outside I can't take a, a tomato seed and put a tomato seed in the dirt and then turn around and throw a little bit of water on it and all of a sudden, boom, there's a tomato plant. right? No, there's more to it than that, isn't there? It takes time. It takes care. You've got you to gotta fertilize them at the right time. You've got to pull weeds out when weeds start to pop up and grow in it. You've got to make sure it has enough water, but not too much. You've got to make sure it gets enough sunlight. right? And over time you reap a harvest, right? You plant the tomato seed and over time and, and with the Lord's help, you know, tomatoes grow and, and you have a harvest. Well, a righteous life is the same way. It's not just that I can you know, do this one thing and boom, everything's fixed, right? And everything's all hunky-dory again. No, it takes time for God to work these things in our life. We sow seeds of peace. And as we sow those seeds of peace, over time, a harvest of righteousness comes. And then just like a harvest... Right? When the harvest comes, you save some of it back and you can collect the seeds again and you can sow those seeds and have another harvest. Right? So it, it reproduces itself. And I think James has that same imagery here uh, in, in mind. Right? When we sow seeds of peace, uh, we reap a harvest of righteousness. And as we reap that harvest of righteousness, we get more peace and we sow more peace and that brings more righteousness. And then as more righteousness comes, we sow more peace. Right? And it's this, this cyclical thing that goes on and on and on. So the question for us this morning is, what kind of seeds are you sowing? What kind of seeds are you sowing? Are you sowing the kind of seeds that will reap a harvest of righteousness and peace? Are you sowing the kind of seeds in your life that will will reap a harvest of disunity and unrighteousness? Well, James follows this clear line of thought. If one professes to be a Christian, that person must prove it by living like a Christian. Nothing more is more convincing than the kind of wisdom that is revealed in his or her behavior to show the genuineness of faith. God's wisdom will be revealed in the way that we as Christians live. And and when we hear Him, and when we love Him, and when we obey Him, and we serve Him, and we serve His church, it will be manifested by a purified heart by humble peacemaking deeds, by righteousness, this harvest of righteousness that reproduces itself. This is a tremendous picture for us this morning. But it's not something that we can do in our own strength. This is a gift of God. This is something that He works in you. We just have to humbly submit to Him. So ask yourself, do I have heavenly wisdom or do I have earthly wisdom? The answer is not anything other than what the character of your life is, the specific deeds that you do and and what your attitude is. So as you run an inventory of yourself, do you have heavenly wisdom or do you have earthly wisdom? The truth of the matter is, is that every single one of us in here display both at times. So it's when those seeds start to sprout of earthly wisdom in the Christian's heart that we again repent and turn to God, ask Him for His forgiveness, ask Him for His help, ask Him to continue to work in our lives to bring about this harvest of righteousness. And just like that song we sang earlier in the service, we are confident, we pray this prayer in confidence, knowing that He will hold us Let's pray. Lord, we thank You for Your Word and we thank You for this good news of the Gospel that every single one of us, though we are sinners, though we don't deserve Your forgiveness, God, in Your goodness, You send Your Son Jesus to live a perfect life for us and to die on the cross in our place to raise again from the dead so that we have the hope of eternal life through repentance and faith in Him. And Father, I pray as we turn again, as we take inventory of our Lives and we see the the fruit of our life, Lord, I pray that we would turn again to You, that we would repent of our sin, that we would repent of our selfish deeds, that we would repent of the unrighteous works that many of us uh, do, Lord, and I pray that we would turn again to You and place our faith in You anew, Lord. Help us to live a life that is marked by this heavenly wisdom that You call us to here in this verse. We love You, Lord. And we pray this not for our glory, not so that we might be looked upon by others as people who have it all together, but, Lord, that others can look at us and see your work in us, and that they might praise our Father who is in heaven. pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.